After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not, he did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them. A voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Thanks, Mike. Please be seated. It's good to see you all here today. I want to I take you back to about six months ago. Permit me to transition. August 21st, 2017. The skies darkened across the United States of America from the coast of Oregon to the coast of North Carolina. For the first time in 99 years, a total solar e eclipse took place encompassing the entire continental uh, United States. Many traveled hundreds of miles just to be in the direct path uh, of the solar eclipse, uh, just some five hours south of us to be right in, in the center of it. And, and as the last sliver of light was, of the sun was covered by the moon, all of a sudden a sight ordinarily not seen, the corona, the outer atmosphere of the sun. Sky watchers tell us that there were ribbons of fire bursting into the atmosphere, flames bursting forth. The intensity was so great that eye protection was necessary uh, because it was so intense. It was an awe-inspiring, jaw-dropping moment. I bring you now to our text for today concerning the transfiguration of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. On this day of transfiguration, we find ourselves standing in the eclipsing shadow of the great confession made by the Apostle Peter in Caesarea Philippi when, when Peter said of Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now I want you to understand, not only is this the pinnacle, not only is this the peak of Mark's gospel account, it is also the midpoint. Everything within Mark leads up to the Mount of Transfiguration. Everything from Mark, from this point forward, leads down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Now to acknowledge Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, is to make the correct the right judgment concerning who he is and what his purpose was all about. And what Peter said in Caesarea Philippi is further verified there on the Mount of Transfiguration. What Peter said from his heart, what Peter said by faith, he would soon see by sight. Now understand, when Peter made this confession about Jesus... He did not yet grasp 
everything that it meant for Jesus to be the Christ and what that entailed for him down the road. Thus, when Jesus, no sooner had Peter made this confession, when Jesus then began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, that he must die and be killed and then three days later rise from the dead. Well, Peter was more than just offended. Peter was repulsed. In fact, so repulsed that he took Jesus aside. And I want you to understand the encounter. This was not an easy moment. Peter took Jesus aside and said, never, Jesus. What you just said to us, that will never happen to you. Understand, Peter as yet did not grasp what it meant for Jesus to be the Christ. And so in, his, in that ignorance... Uh, this is where we have uh, the first of what we're going to refer to today as unveilings. The first unveiling that we see today is the unveiling of the scandal. For Jesus to say him, that the long-awaited Messiah, the, the Christ, the Son of the living God, must suffer and must die. That was a scandalous message, especially to someone of Jewish descent and background who lived, who longed for the coming of the Messiah. The Apostle Paul later wrote about this when he said that that message was a stumbling block to the Jews and, and foolishness to the Greeks, to the Gentiles. You see, Peter was committed to the glory of Jesus Christ and all the splendor, all the radiance that went with that glory. But Peter had no room as yet in his life for the cross. He was all about the exaltation of Jesus but he wanted nothing to do with the humiliation where Jesus submitted himself to you and to me so that he might become Savior by dying for our sins. But understand, my friends, without the humiliation, there would be no exaltation. Without the cross, there would be no glory for you or for me. And that was the truth to which Peter still needed to come to terms. Thus, it is no wonder that no sooner did Peter rebuke Jesus, that Jesus in turn had to do the same to Peter. When Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, you do not have in mind the things of God, but rather the things of men. Yes, the cross was a horrendous Repulsive thought for Peter. But it was coming nonetheless. And the disciples needed to be ready for that moment. And as such, the Lord, our Lord does something for them that is very rare in the New Testament. Jesus moves their faith to sight. He gives them a glimpse of His divine glory. And this is where we move from the unveiling of the scandal to the unveiling of the sun. And this was a sight intended to anchor these disciples in a confidence that despite the suffering and the dying that was yet to come for Jesus, yet there was divine glory yet to be revealed as a result. As I said, this is the high point of Mark's gospel account. Prior to Jesus' resurrection... This is the clearest evidence that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. 
And this unveiling of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, is comprised in four significant scenes. The first scene is the transformation of the Son. Mark tells us, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Now talk about the most understated description here in our text. When Mark says, Jesus, I mean, it almost comes across, he was transfigured before them. And it's like, come on, Mark. Can't you give us a little more than just that? Just, just one word? No, no adverb? No descriptive terms? I mean, no intensifiers? No, no participles or anything? That's it? Just one word? That's all you've got, Mark? But my friends, that one word means so much. The Greek word, I think it has some familiarity to our ears. The Greek word is metamorpho, from which we get our word, help me out, metamorphosis. You understand, something that totally and completely changes. In other words, perhaps a mo most familiar exercise or, or example for us uh, is how a caterpillar spins a cocoon and after a period of time changes completely and comes out of the cocoon as butterfly. Jesus was completely changed. Now, of course, as God, there was nothing about him on the inside that changed. But as true man, all of a sudden, what was true of Jesus on the inside also became true of him on the outside. Jesus' outward appearance went through a radical transformation. A side of him the disciples had never before seen. Luke tells us that his face was changed. Matthew tells us that his face shone like the sun. Mark tells us that Jesus' clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And the description that Mark provides for us here me, it means that his clothes glittered like the facets of a diamond in, in a sun on, on, on a high noon day with the intensity of white that is incomprehensible. An awesome, jaw-dropping sight. Now remember, these are Jewish men. And they're familiar with Old Testament Scripture. And they knew from past events when God made himself known to his people, when God showed up, oftentimes it was accompanied with light. And not just any old light, but bright, shining, brilliant, middle of the day sunshine kind of light. This blazing glory that, that drove all darkness away. And right here before their very eyes, the veil of Jesus' humanity was pulled aside and the blazing glory of Jesus' divinity shone forth. John would later write in the opening chapter of his gospel, we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. But not only did Jesus change in that moment, the scene also went, went through a change. All of a sudden, we have the validation of the saints. Mark writes, and there appeared with, before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. 
I mean, along with the transfigured Jesus, as if that wasn't awesome enough, all of a sudden stood among the disciples the great prophet of the Old Testament, along with the great lawgiver of the Old Testament. And Luke records for us that Elijah and Moses were having a conversation with Jesus. They were talking with Jesus about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. In other words, Elijah and Moses were talking to Jesus about his what? His death. His crucifixion. Now again, I want you to put yourself in the disciples' frame of mind, especially uh, uh, Peter's. You mean, wait a second. He's listening in on this conversation. Wait a second. You mean Moses and Elijah. They know about this plan where the Christ has to suffer and die and they're okay with that? You mean Moses and Elijah are well aware of the fact that, that, that the Messiah had to come and die in order for God's plan of salvation to be fulfilled? Am I getting this right? Well, that's exactly what this conversation is all about. Who better to validate the truth that the death of the Messiah was part of God's plan all along than Moses and Elijah. Men whom these disciples looked upon as heroes of the faith. And by having this conversation right there before them with Jesus, the message was clear. Though there was suffering to come soon in the life of Jesus, even death, yet for his to, him to be the Christ, this would result in glory, not only for him, but also for all who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Well, you would think that would be enough for Peter at least, but no. Peter is still having a hard time putting the concept of the Christ and his dying together. And so in the third scene, what we see happening is what we might refer to as the interruption of the disciple. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Notice, instead of Jesus having to go to the cross, instead of Jesus having to die, Peter comes up with his own alternate plan. Hey, tell you what. We got Moses, we got Elijah, we got Jesus in all his glory. How about, let's just forget about all this suffering stuff. Let's forget about going to Jerusalem and having to die. Let's forget all about the cross. Let's just go straight to God's kingdom of glory and let's just start right here and now. Peter, Peter, Peter. He still failed to grasp this truth. That without the cross, there would be no glory for you or for me. And thus leads in the fourth transition, the fourth scene before us, what we can refer to as the reaffirmation of the Father. And this moment kind of takes us back to Jesus' baptism, the very, the very beginning of his ministry, where Mark tells us that then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. 
It's almost as if, you know, you know, God is saying, Peter, 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 stop with your interrupting and start listening to what Jesus is trying to tell you. Listen to what he has to say. I know it may be uncomfortable for you to hear this, Peter, but listen to him tell you what his dying is all about. Because Peter, behind Jesus having to die, I've got glory. I've got wonderful things. I've got blessing in store for you as a result of what Jesus is trying to tell you. So stop interrupting, stop talking, and start listening. And in essence, friends, what we have here in this moment is the third unveiling of our story. The unveiling of the sacrifice. Matthew tells us that when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Do not be afraid. In Mark, we read that suddenly they looked around and they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And with everything that they had just uh, witnessed, everything that had just taken place, it is though the words of John the Baptist are echoing anew in this moment. No one was left except Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But to fulfill God's plan of salvation, there was some unfinished business that still had to be finalized. Someone had to pay the price for sin. Someone had to suffer and die. Someone's life had to be sacrificed. And that someone, my friends, was Jesus. There was no one left except Jesus. The Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, what you and I could not do for ourselves, Jesus came and did for us. And my friends, that is what God's plan was all about all along. That is Jesus' purpose in your life and in my life. That is the truth that is unveiled to you and to me along with the disciples that day on the Mount of Transfiguration as Jesus unveiled to us all His glory. Interestingly in time, the disciples would witness and marvel at Jesus' resurrection from the dead and all the glory that resulted. In time, they would gladly, they would boldly preach Christ crucified, dead, risen, ascended on high. But for now, no one was left except Jesus. And now they must follow Jesus down the Mount of Transfiguration. Now they must follow Jesus as he sets his eyes on going to Jerusalem. Now they must follow Jesus on a path that leads all the way to the cross. And so also for you and me, my friends, during, in this coming week, we enter into the season of Lent. That opportunity, that period of time in the year when you and I have the opportunity to recall anew the sufferings and the death of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
At times it's hard for us to imagine that the Son of God had to go through all of this. But again, this is exactly why the Son of the living God was born. Jesus the Christ took on human flesh, took your sins, took my sins, so that he might go to the cross of Calvary and redeem you and me from Satan, sin, and death. And he did this so that you and I might know the blessing and the glory of everlasting life with Almighty God in eternity. So therefore, my dear friends, may you and I, along with these disciples, stand on the Mount of Transfiguration and gaze at the awesome glory of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then, let us also anticipate the further unveiling of glory that will one day be yours, that will one day be mine as we behold what Jesus accomplishes for us on the Mount of Calvary. God grant that to each of us for Jesus' sake. Amen? Amen.